we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our emergency freedom alerts for february 13 2023 next report is giants emerging everywhere they can't hide this i'm gonna uh, i'm not playing the whole thing a lot of it's just documenting over and over and over all the evidence for giants a lot of it were, was in newspapers from this type of thing or historical accounts and these types of things i'm just going to expose you to some more of this which is uh pretty fascinating stuff here accounts of giants as well flavius josephus a first century jewish scholar and historian wrote this for which reason they removed their camp to hebron and when they had taken it they slew all the inhabitants there were till then left the race of giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day, unlike to any credible relations of other men. During the 1500s, when the Spanish navigators were exploring the coast of the Americas, sightings of live giants were also sighted. Three captains of Spanish ships reported these taller-than-average native people on their expeditions to America, as well as Sir Francis Drake, Captain John Smith, and several other notable eyewitnesses. This is what Captain... I mean, these are super credible people from historical, a historical fact that all reported on this stuff. Smith wrote about them. The Sasquasahanogs are a giant-like people. They measured the calf of the largest man's leg and found it three quarters of a yard about, and all the rest of his limbs were in proportion. In 1519, Spanish explorer Alonso Alvarez de Pineda was mapping the coastline of the Gulf Coast, marking the various rivers, bays, landmarks, and potential ports. Not far from where the river empties into the Gulf of Mexico, he found a large town and near it some 40 native villages. He described seeing many giants living in this village and curiously a race of tiny pygmies was also living there. Pineda described the tribes that settled near the Mississippi River as a race of giants from 10 to 11 palms in height and a race of pygmies only five or six palms high. Now that reminds me very much of Okeechobee um, you can key in Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee, um, in the keyword search box at continuefortruth.com. We've talked a lot about Lake Okeechobee. Um, fairly near where I used to live in um, southwest Florida, in the Fort Myers area. And um, <laughs> a lot of stuff went on there in times past. The Calusa Indians and this type of stuff, which I've reported on heavily. Calusa Indians, you can key that in too. And um, in the excavations of Lake Okeechobee and this would just happen when the water levels were low when the lake levels were low they would say it was the, the whole bottom half of the Lake Okeechobee and I'm talking the extreme bottom half was was like some type of Indian burial ground and when they've done excavations in those areas um, outside the lake they have found the bones of giants and they've also found the bones of pygmies, very small people. So it's weird that the giants and the pygmies, sometimes they would tend to live together. And I'm sure the giants were ruling over the pygmies and probably using them as some type of slave class. But that dynamic was going on in the southern part of Lake Okeechobee as well. And from again, for my full report, just key that in and, uh, 
at the, at the website and you will find my, my reports I've done on that as well. Perhaps the most intriguing and widely known tale of real giants in the age of exploration began with an account concerning none other than the great Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan. Between the years of 1519 and 1522, Magellan embarked on his most famous voyage, a bold expedition to search for a good route to the Maluku Islands of the East East Indies that would eventually result in the first successful circumnavigation of the globe. Magellan was given command of five vessels, and one leg of their voyage took them out across the vast ocean, all the way to the faraway land of Patagonia, at the southern end of South America. It was there that the expedition would come across a rather baffling sight indeed. Here's an excerpt from the diary of Magellan's official chronicler. Leaving that place, we finally reached 49 and one half degrees toward the Antarctic Pole. As it was winter, the ships entered a safe port to winter. We passed two months in that place without seeing anyone. One day, we suddenly saw a naked man of giant stature on the shore of the port, dancing, singing, and throwing dust on his head. The Captain General, Magellan, sent one of our men to the giant so that he might perform the same actions as a sign of peace. Having done that, the man led the giant to an islet into the presence of the Captain General. When the giant was in the Captain General's and our presence, he marveled greatly and made signs with one finger raised upward, believing that we had come from the sky. He was so tall that we reached only to his waist, and he was well proportioned. It is significant to note that the above narrative is taken from the journal of the official chronicler of Magellan's voyage of discovery. That is the one person above all others who is tasked with recording and keeping the most accurate records of events and activities, whether exotic or mundane. This person is not only responsible to the commander of the voyage, but also to king and country for his eyewitness accounts as a complete, precise, and accurate testimony of events that occurred during the voyage. Based on his position and responsibilities alone, his first-hand eyewitness testimony of encounters with giants must be taken as factual information by an unimpeachable witness. To do otherwise is to trivialize the importance of the chronicler's fundamental... I mean, this was Magellan and his chronicler. They're absolutely talking about the giants they encountered. And all of these other captains that explored the New World, they all they all had different accounts of different giant races they encountered. Okay? So, it's, it's a historical fact. Accountability. Years later, in 1539, there was also the account of Hernando de Soto, another explorer, who came face to face with numerous giants during his adventures through the southeast portion of what is now the United States. De Soto had set out from Tampa Bay, Florida with a contingent of hundreds of men, and during their trek, they allegedly frequently came across tribes of natives ruled by giants. One of these was a Frequently came across nations or these Indian nations ruled by giants. Okay. They always rule over pagan uh, uh, types of tribes. Okay. The giants would do that. Okay. That's, that's kind of what they're, they would be attracted to that very thing. They would be the rulers over them. 
and and that was just a very common thing that happened early on when when the explorers were coming into america it's been totally erased out of the history books even though it is a historical fact from various and different notable explorers tuscaloosa who was encountered in western alabama and said to be a hulking giant of a man who towered over all others there are also the reports from the Spanish conquistador and explorer Hernando de Alarcón, who is trying to find a river that could be used to move supplies to Spanish troops along the coasts of California and Mexico. Alarcón would eventually make his way up the Colorado River all the way up to the Grand Canyon, and during this journey he and his men purportedly came across a tribe of around 200 giant warriors standing up to 10 feet tall. The giants were supposedly very aggressive, but Alarcón appeased them with gifts and other signs of peace. The conquistador Francisco Coronado also told of having come across whole tribes of giants during his quest throughout the southwest in search of the legendary El Dorado. In some cases, there was physical evidence of these giants found as was supposedly the case with the conquistador Bernal Diaz del Castillo, who served under Hernán Cortés during the Spanish conquest of Mexico. Within the pages of his detailed record of the conquest and subsequent collapse of the Aztec Empire, there is an odd account of a race of giants that were claimed by the Tlaxcatec Indians to have once inhabited the area. The chief of the tribe then provided the remains of these mysterious giants as evidence of which Castillo would write, They said their ancestors had told them that very tall men and women with huge bones had once dwelt among them. But because they were very bad people with <laughs> wicked customs, yeah. they had fought against them and killed them. I mean, them. it's pretty bad when a pagan society of Indians says they were very wicked, wicked people of customs and they fought against them and killed them. I mean, you know, you've got a totally pagan tribes <laughs> saying this about the giants. No, I mean, and I'm mean, I don't want to throw all the Indians under the bus or something like. I, I don't. I don't want to do that. I'm just saying that they were pagan. I mean, come on, and, and just find that ironic, you know. And those of them who remained had died off, and to show us how big these giants had been, they brought us the leg bone of one, which was very thick, and the height of an ordinary sized man. So one leg bone was the height of an ordinary sized man. One femur, in other words. I'm assuming it's a femur. I mean, that is one big sucker. And that was a leg bone from the hip to the knee. I measured myself against it, and yeah. it was as tall as I am, though I am of a reasonable height. Wow. They brought over pieces of bone of the same kind, but they were all rotten and eaten away by the soil. We were all astonished by the sight of these bones and felt certain there must have been giants in that land. There were so many reports of real giants being encountered throughout North and South America in the age of exploration, and such accounts have faded into history to be mostly forgotten. There are some things, however, that cannot be forgotten, as they are literally written in stone. That's the case of the giant footprint of South Africa. This is the most spectacular footprint in rock found anywhere on Earth to date. And they're showing they're it. I mean, it's enormous. Many others, however, like the giant footprint of Pinyan. Yeah, they're showing other footprints like this that were once, once it was mud or some type of clay material, and then through the process of time, 
sun baking kind of turned into a rock-like material and the footprint image is still there and they're showing multiple different footprints but this one in particular is enormous none are as fully formed and obvious as the one in south africa yeah discovered in 1931 by a farmer called stoffel ketzi while hunting it has remained one of the most controversial sites in archaeology and geological research the footprint is about four feet or 1.3 meters in length which suggests that the creature who left it would have been 24 to 27 feet or 7 to 8 meters in height yeah the bigger they come the harder they fall you can even see in that footprint which was once some type of probably mud clay like material that when the giant's foot went into the mud it just it like all the mud went up over the toes and that mud is or that that it hardened into rock it's still there like what you would expect if something went really really far down when when i went and i confronted that um that whole northport devil thing that i did in, in port charlotte with one of my listeners um the guy i walked in the house and the guy showed me the cast of this thing and um it was like a hove of this what he called this 20 foot draco white winged reptilian showed it to me he showed mufon he showed everybody and the news was there and, and everything else and um it had sunk it, he, he came out his back door and the thing was standing there and he was so afraid he just slammed the door and went back in but when he went back out there i believe the next day it was standing on like one foot and it had sunk down and i mean this thing sunk down like a foot into the ground through the through like sod like um I don't know if he had Bahamian or Floortam uh, grass, but it was, the grass was fine. It was green. It wasn't like um, it was muddy or something like that. It went, it weighed so much, it sunk right into the ground. And he said it was about 20 feet high to his estimate. He only got a brief look at it because he recoiled in horror and went back into the house. And um, he showed me the cast. And I don't see how he could have made it up. He, he 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 put plaster Paris in it and did it. And you could see the veins in the bottom of the hoof, like that were like flowing through it. That's how much this thing weighed. And the impression that it left was that deep and that solid in the soil. So it kind of reminded me of, of that. I, I was just looking and I, I cannot find my teaching on the Northport Devil. I think it would have been 2009. And maybe I just included it as part of one of the things, and I didn't, I didn't maybe space out things right, and and, it, and I can't find it. But man, that was one of the craziest things. It might be under my supernatural teaching. Um, maybe I included it in there, and um, I, I I can't. But I, if anybody is wanting to to find out, I wish I could give you a better answer. Okay, now I think yes, I think it's in my my testimony and supernatural experiences. So, just key in supernatural at contendingfortruth.com. The reason I'm saying that is because I put this study up September 13, 2009, which is um probably about hmm, let's see. 8 or 9 months before I moved up here. And this happened when I still lived there toward the very end of when I lived in um, uh, 
the Fort Myers area. And I had a listener with me that saw the whole thing. I mean, as God's my witness, I, I, what I said in that was not an exaggeration. What, what I did there with that whole thing, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but anyway, if you, if you want to know more about that, just King supernatural and, and you can hear my, my, which I tell a whole bunch of things that have happened to me in that regard. And that was back in 2009. The footprint is known to locals as the footprint of God, or Goliath's footprint, and stories of ancient giants are told all throughout the region. Skeptics reject the giant footprint, claiming it was formed by natural erosion. Oh, However, Professor Peter Wagoner from the University of Port Elizabeth in South Africa said that there is a higher probability of little green men arriving from space and licking it out with their tongues <laughs> than being created by natural erosion. <laughs> yeah. Judging by all the discoveries listed, together with all the historical accounts we mentioned, it may be possible that giants really existed. But could it be possible that somewhere in some remote place, a species of these enigmatic beings is still alive, hiding from humanity? We can't end this video without mentioning the most famous giant encounter, which didn't happen in ancient times, but in 2002. This occurrence, which is still classified by the U.S. government, was disclosed in the popular radio show Coast to Coast, after witnesses of the event came through and anonymously told their stories. The events allegedly happened in 2002 in the deserts of Afghanistan, where a U.S. Army squad went missing. A special ops task force was sent to find out what happened, and the soldiers walked along a rugged mountainous trail until arriving at the entrance of a large cave. Around the clearing of the cave, there were pieces of broken U.S. military equipment and scattered gear with traces of blood on them. The task force was about to enter the cave to search for the missing soldiers when a 13-foot-tall, red-headed, double-toothed humanoid emerged yep. and attacked them. According to the witnesses... This is well-known, guys. I've reported on this over and over. Steve Quayle's got a whole book on this one about this red-headed giant that um, emerged from this cave in Afghanistan. And then the, the locals, you know, are well aware of this and, and knew, knew about the, these... This is why they never ventured into these places. The giant pierced one of the soldiers with his long spear, killing him on the spot, before the rest of the squad could take him down, shooting at his face for 30 seconds straight. Once the giant was dead, the task force went inside the cave and found remains of human bones, leading the military to think that the creature was cannibalistic. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to deal with them on a ballistic basis, from what I've heard, you, you need a 50 caliber round, uh, it needs to be copper, ideally, because copper has a uh, a very devastating effect on them, and it needs to be a headshot. You you can't use like a a two two three, or a five five six, or a lighter caliber on them. And if you do it, you got to shoot at the head. And I'm not saying if you if you don't put enough bullets in them, you can't take them down, but a fifty cal headshot. And most people don't have access to a fifty cal and that type of thing. Um, I'm not going to go that route when I, I really believe that when the time comes when I'm supposed to deal with these things that I'm going to use the sword of the spirit. That's all I've ever done whenever I've went out to try to confront 
these things. And in the Northport Devil, I did everything I could do to get that thing to come out and confront me. I don't know what more I could have done. I've done this in several other occasions. It's not me. I give God and the Lord Jesus Christ all the credit, all the praise, all the glory. I am nothing apart from him. I'm not Mr. Big Billy. You know what? Um, but through him, we can do all things through Christ, which strengthen us. And some people, I mean, not many people I think are called to that either. Um, I am. Uh, I don't know why. I just am. I have been from a very early age. And I just know what I want to do is I'd love to get this on film. And um, because I can't imagine how many people would get saved if they could actually see the power of God against these creatures. And for God to get the glory, and I don't care if I'm known about or not, that, that's irrelevant. I want to see people get saved. I want to see God get the glory. That's really all that matters. So I do believe these things can be dealt with. I think the more evil they are, the more of a spiritual route you can take. But you have to have the faith to believe that that can be done. And um, like I said, not everybody is called in that exact direction. I think we're all called to pray though. We're all called to pray against evil and wickedness and these things are purely evil and wicked. And I do believe they're right on the verge of making their big debut regarding humanity again. And we're gonna learn about that in the next report as well. When this shocking incident was reported to the headquarters, the body of the giant was packed and loaded into a helicopter and transferred- And here's a picture, they're showing pictures of depictions of what this looked like from first-hand people. So many first-hand people, soldiers that saw this firsthand, whether it was like the guys on the plane or whether it was the guys in the battle, some of them have come forward in an anonymous manner and described, and they're all, what they describe all confirms what the other guys say. A secret location in the USA for study. The giant weighed about 500 kilograms, estimated by the team who transported the body from the pickup location to the United States. The giant wore a canvas or animal hide to protect his feet, like some sort of moccasins. If there was a living giant hiding for so many years in the caves of Afghanistan without being discovered, we must assume that this giant must not be the yeah. only one living on this planet. Yeah, here they show they show one of these. And this is a weird creature. This isn't like your normal what you'd think a giant. It's a giant, but it's some kind of weird creature. And this was reported on. Um, let me just see here. This was reported on. Caves of Afghanistan, without eerie man-like beast caught roaming through European desert. Mysterious sighting of an unknown beast appears to show animal walking uprightly slowly across a desert wasteland in the clip. The creature, creature, creature appears over six feet tall. Yeah, it appears way more than six feet tall, if you ask me. Walks with a very stooped back, very long arms, um, and a pair of legs. showing it. I mean, it's, we it's a video. We must assume that it. this giant must not be the only one living on this planet. Surely there must be others somewhere out there. This mysterious creature was caught on camera in the desert of Portugal a few yeah. years ago. Could it be another... Pretty sure he just disappears behind this rock, too. This rock kind of comes into... He kind of goes behind the rock and then he just disappears. Um, hiding from man. I don't know. He's all stooped over. He kind of looks down in the dumps, kind of like a, kind of like a sad sack. So you, you kind of take a little pity on the poor, on the poor gigantic devil beast creature that needs to die. And Anyway, sorry. Right. 
thinking about all the classified discoveries out oh, okay. there. Okay, so that's um, th this is actually almost a half hour video. I just played you about ten minutes of it, so it's a really good video that just goes over report after report after report of this stuff. Then another one from Michael Salia: strong delusion, according to to top high level New Agers, seven sleeping Anunnaki giants, scientists. They're supposedly scientists are awakening to enlighten humanity and to bring us to a new golden age so this is how the kind of brainwashing that michael salia and so many other new agers that are exploring this are are trying to engage in to deceive their followers into thinking this is also going to be some great wonderful thing that that we're you know getting ready to experience here Seven sleeping Anunnaki scientists are in the process of awakening and revealing advanced technology. Now they know they're scientists because they all are wearing lab coats and they have those pocket pen protectors with pens in, a whole bunch of pens. That's how they're, they're determining that they're scientists are, little, little giant humor there. Hidden knowledge secrets. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Your source for the uncensored... Again, I don't know anybody on planet Earth that's doing more to deceive, that, that could play a bigger part in the coming deception than this than this guy. Because he is absolutely 100% sold out on board with the whole disclosure agenda and that it's going to be wonderful. ...regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. On November 1st, my U.S. Army source, JP, revealed that another giant king in a stasis chamber had been found in Iraq. According to Here we go with Iraq again. We talked about Gilgamesh, Babylon, Iraq. Now we have the stasis, another giant found in a stasis chamber in Iraq. Huh. Iraq seems to be ground zero for a lot of this. The giant is one of a group of 12 scientists left by a departing faction of the Anunnaki. JP gave details of the location of the sleeping giant as somewhere under the remains of the Sumerian city of Nippur, which was the ancient capital of the leader of the Anunnaki space fleet, Enlil, and his son, Ninuta. The location of Nippur as one of the places where a sleeping giant could be found was highly significant as it meant some of the ancient Anunnaki space technology was almost certain to be found hidden in the buried ruins. In my now I had reported before on these Anunnaki actually manifesting in Syria, in Iraq, in these types of regions and that our military had actually confronted them and had a horrible horrible time with them there the technology these anunnaki have just like from times old was just beyond anything we had and we had an incredibly high death rate on some of our, our most crack black beret navy seal type troops um and the guy that was reporting on that all of a sudden just went dark and then he re-emerged and then he was a trumpite and the material they reported on was nothing like what he was reporting on. So in other words, either it's just totally different person or they got to him. And um, I don't know. Uh, but I reported on that before, that these Anunnaki were actually just showing up. And Russian troops were getting slaughtered. Our troops were getting slaughtered. They were firsthand. I played the, the audios of one of the Russian guys that talked about them. 
And the one thing about all of this is none of them were approaching this from any kind of Christian spiritual aspect at all. They were they were totally trying to use conventional weaponry on these totally purely evil entities. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. And I truly believe that we possess as Christians the real weaponry that that is needed in order to take these things down. Okay? And that's why I'm so adamant about this i'm like here i am god please send me translate me there do whatever i will confront them if i die i die but i don't think i will i really don't and i just want to get i just want to get it on film i want to get i want somebody to get it on film so god gets the glory and many get saved and i want to see these devils be defeated because they're not they're nothing compared to god they are absolutely zero nothing compared to god but they rule by fear and intimidation and guaranteed they will feed off your fear if you want to if you go and engage them in battle if you're not if you're not walking in faith they will they will exploit that so this like i said it's not for everybody but i do believe there are select christian men out there that are called to literally physically engage these things and um i think we're going to see that in the days and times to come now again it would be something that guaranteed satan's kingdom would try to suppress to the nth degree when this starts happening i believe it's just a matter of time when this starts happening and i personally cannot wait previous article discussing jp's update i mentioned how thorhan aredian had revealed the identity of the giant to elena danan to be aruna one of enlil's children in order to find out more about Aruna and other sleeping giants, Elena asked Enki, aka Prince Ea, about the identity of the sleeping Anunnaki that had been left behind when he left Earth after the Great Flood, circa 9700 hmm. BC. Wonder why he left Earth after the Great Flood, if if he actually even did, or whether that was just a another angel that whatever I don't know. But again, you have to take everything he's saying with a grain of salt because obviously he's 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 presenting the agenda of satan essentially so what follows is enki's responses to elena's questions where he discusses a total of 12 anunnaki scientists that have been left behind each possessing unique esoteric knowledge and technology secrets what follows is enki's responses to elena's questions where he Enki appears to be a large gray alien, just so you know. And this this other Elena lady is a channeler. She's she's receiving either messages, which is something again that Helena Blavatsky did, and Alice Bailey, and you name it. A, a lot of people and occultists have done for centuries, like some type of fallen angelic or demonic communication that they receive and then they write down and put out to to their followers. This is a total of 12 Anunnaki scientists that had been left behind, each possessing unique esoteric knowledge and technology secrets. Enki, my crew decided to stay. Well, indeed most of them. Some others decided to leave Earth with me. They wanted to go home. But those who stayed took upon the mission and responsibility to be the keepers of the knowledge. <laughs> each of them, you see, are key activators for the technology. Not only their body's genetic frequency key is necessary, 
but it must be coupled with their personal consciousness. You see, consciousness... So is they have all this advanced technology that is supposedly buried around the world. I've reported on this. They're, some of them are called, known as space arcs. Some of them are underground civilizations that they're reporting on. How much of it's true, I don't know. Okay, but if disclosure happens and then all of a sudden these supposed space arcs or these underground um, races that are under a feet, there's supposedly a gigantic one in Florida that one of the guys that he talks to a lot, who is evidently high level in our military, goes down there and visits. And they keep talking about we have a giant in our stasis chamber and it's being activated right now. And um we're going to be making our emergence very soon and that we're man's friend and i just see this being something that potentially would go hand in hand with disclosure and where they're going to present themselves as the next best thing since sliced bread and we're going to help humanity go to the next level and we're going to take you into the new world order and you'll be as gods and, and you know all that bible stuff that's all lies jesus is one of us he's actually an ascended master he's called master jesus or esau sananda emmanuel and he's one of us he's going to look just like all those pictures in all the churches yeah that michelangelo gave us um which has no bearing on what jesus actually really looked like i've done tons of teachings on that as well just key and master jesus and you'll find those um and the deception that i foresee coming is going to be unlike anything the world has ever seen it will be the strong delusion of second thessalonians chapter two i really believe it will be the essence of that uh so we really have seen nothing yet and i believe this stuff that we're covering here is going to be potentially a huge part of that maybe not but potentially a gigantic part of that. And this is why I want to inform my listeners about it. I do not want you to be caught flat-footed in the case that this actually does start happening and these things start emerging from underneath the ground, these different races, uh, Nephilim-like creatures, and these space arcs, and all of a sudden they've got all this unbelievable tech, and oh, wow, we've got your med beds here, we're going to cure you everything, and we got free energy, and we're going to give you that, we're going to get rid of the wicked cabal, and we're going to have your your good guy white hats from the, from the um, people like, I don't even know if Trump will be a part of that, but people like DeSantis and uh, JFK Jr. will be resurrected, or whoever they're going to bring back, whoever the good guy white hats are, the the um the the good people supposedly in alternative media like Jones and Michael Adams and these types of people, they're gonna help ease us into this disclosure into, and they're gonna say this is God, this is of God, and it's going to be the Antichrist and false prophet literally. That's how we're gonna get there. Now, can I be dogmatic about that? No, but I tell you what, Hollywood has sure done their level best to prepare the way. Our military has done their level best to prepare the way. You got shows like Stargate Atlantis. They're, they're literally filming with the permission of the DOD. They're on set. They're they're like giving them, you know, uh, all this information on how to to make the episodes and stuff like that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Stargate SGI. Literally at the end of the credits has that. Okay, of, of like almost all the episodes. So they're they're planning something. Key. Elena, how many are they, the sleeping Anunnaki in stasis? Enki, they were twelve, but four bodies have been destroyed, and one is in the custody of the enemy. Seven remain untouched. Well, praise God for the four bodies that have been destroyed. Please, God, send me to the seven that are already uh, untouched 
and let me, or maybe a group of men, let let us go and eradicate the rest of these devils before they actually wake up. Man, what a what a praise God! What a awesome fun job that would be. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, can you imagine being able to do something like that? It'd be awesome. But I've been hearing about these giants in stasis chambers for years, and I've been reporting on them for years, and I don't think, I mean, you look at what Jesus said about, as it was in the days of the Son of Man, or as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. I mean, we should be expecting an incursion of giants again, just like there was in the days of Noah. And how long these things have been in stasis chambers, I don't know. Four are in the process of activation. Elena, yeah. Kukul Khan is one of the four. Enki. Yeah, evidently it take a long time to wake up um, this activation process. It's not like there's some like alarm clock next to them and it goes off and they you know hit the thing and then they wake up. Evidently it takes a long, long time for these devils to wake up. Um, so anyway. Ningish Zida, yes. Elena, who are the others? Enki, knowing their names is part of the activation process, so I cannot disclose their real names, right. you understand? Some are not ready yet. Elena, I do understand. Thorhan told me that the one under Nippur is named Aruna. Is that right? Enki, how do you know about him? Mm. Elena, our friend that is in the Earth's secret military programs told us. Yeah, he's the one that comes on Michael Salia and tells him about all these trips that he's sanctioned to take by our government to these underground civilizations. And one of them supposedly is underneath Florida. Uh, in caverns that run really far uh, underneath Florida. I think more in the central part. I mean, you got Silver Springs there, which I actually took Taylor to when she was little, and you've got a lot of different springs and areas there and a lot of uh, different, like, more so like springs in those types of caves, not above-ground caves, but more like typically submerged caves. You may go on a mission there. Elena is here referring to JP, who was the first to be given details about a new sleeping giant located in Iraq and had passed on the geographic coordinates of where it was found. JP had previously witnessed a sleeping giant in a Florida cavern who Thorhan identified as Ningish Zida, who was also known as Kukul Khan, Quetzalcoatl, Viracocha. No, Quetzalcoatl, great, great. The plume serpent devil god from the uh, Aztecs that required human sacrifice. But just remember, Michael Sally will tell them they're all good and they're all just here for our benefit. All they really care about most of the time is just getting the tech. Whatever goodies these satanic abominations can bring us. What they're going to bring us is death and hell. That's all they're going to ultimately end up bringing us. Oh, sure, maybe they'll, they'll smooth things over initially with whatever. But, you know, you get in bed with the devil, you know, you're going to get burned. Etc. Ningish Zida's activation process got a boost when he was identified at a major Orlando conference with over 900 attendees who participated in an activation ceremony led by an Aztec shaman, oh, Quetzalcoatl. An, an Aztec shaman. So he's waking up quicker because of all these people that showed up at a conference led by an Aztec shaman who we know is, is serving Satan. And he's going to be waking up quicker now because of their mass witchcraft because it takes a lot of mass witchcraft to actually wake these things up is what he's actually telling you 
Elena next brought up the question of technologies that could be found in Nippur, and Enki went on to elaborate on their advanced nature and sophistication. Elena, Thorhand said that Aruna is a scientist engineer specializing in spacecraft. Enki, the master shipmaker, the technology he is guarding has great power. With the ships are also the core engines and a far greater technology, power energy sources. The containers are still there, but no one on planet Earth knows how to activate them. Yeah, we ha they have technological um, uh, knowledge where that we do not possess. I mean, at one time, you know, they were good angels, and then they became fallen angels, and then they passed their knowledge to their to their offspring, and they still all possess the knowledge, and that's that's just you know what's going on there. Terrans are even scared to handle these containers, so they are waiting for the keys to understand how it works. The key is genome consciousness. Right. Elena, can anyone incarnated on Earth who has the same genetics activate this technology? Enki, how do you think they choose the soldiers and the people for these missions? All have the genome. And okay, now, this is Stargate SGI, Stargate Atlantis. You have to have the right genome in order to operate the chair in order to use the alien tech or in order to fly the alien craft which they call jumpers in like stargate sgi and uh stargate atlantis okay you have to have the right genome and then they get to a point in stargate atlantis where they get around that because they give you the right vaccine to give you the right genetics so you can operate the jumpers and the, and the chairs and the things like that so you can use the the ancient alien tech in order to battle the bad guys that's just, and again, that's DOD helped write the script for Stargate SGI and probably Stargate Atlantis. No, otherwise, they couldn't access the places. The frequency shields would stop them. By genome consciousness... So you have, to write, you have to have the right DNA, in other words, is what they're saying. He's referring to individuals such as JP and Radu Cinema described in the Transylvania Sunrise book series who carry the right genetics to yeah. both... Probably they've got a certain amount of Nephilim DNA in their genetics where they can actually activate these things. They can actually go into these, if it's true, these space arcs or things like that were described on Stargate Atlantis, Stargate SGI, and they can actually go in there, operate them, and go through doors that you, if you didn't have the right genetics with the right Nephilim DNA, you wouldn't be able to access. I mean, unless, unless God gave you access. These locations where ancient technologies are hidden, pass through sophisticated protective frequency barriers, right. and finally activate these ancient technologies. And this is supposedly what these chosen humans are doing, like this JP guy that he's describing. They're going in and they're starting to wake up these space hawks. They're starting to wake up these um, giants. They're starting to um, activate these things not only by their genetics, but also through mass witchcraft, led by peoples like shamans and these types of things. So, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. All of the stuff I have reported on in the past, and um, again, can't be dogmatic about exactly how this is all going to play out, but I want you to at least be aware of it. Okay, so let's continue on. Uh, listener comment from longtime listener Patricia. Uh, regarding Nephilim architecture, yes, they are probably looking for ancient Nephilim technology, but I also believe they are trying to raise these Nephilim. They will be the first ones to be sorry when they do, meaning when they do raise them, which relates heavily to what we just 
talked about, about these giants in these stasis chambers. Most of the people who do understand this is going on who are not Christian think that somehow or another they're going to live side by side with the Nephilim, meaning like the giants in this case, I think in particular. No baby, you're going to be their slave and they're going to despise you. I think they totally do want the Nephilim tech because of their worldview, meaning the people that are so desperate like Michael Salia and all host of others. Stephen Greer and you know it's all they care about is getting the getting the toys from the devil. I think they totally do want the Nephilim tech because of their worldview, but they will not sit down and study every reference to these beings in the Bible to just know how awful they are. And this is when Michael Salia started getting a little more uncomfortable and had to interject that well the Bible, you know, and I didn't play that part, but about how the Bible is. Um, <clears throat> probably blew, blew things out of proportion about these giants and you know he can't hear it really stand hearing anything really negative about them um or at bare minimum okay maybe there's some negative races but there's good giants no there's not there's no good cop bad cop here that's all a lie it's just like the good aliens and the bad aliens it's all a lie they're all evil they're all wicked they're all anti-god and anti-christian in Annie Jesus, every one of them, they hate God, and um, but that's just one of the big lies that the New Age will try to convince you of. This is an interesting. I'm only going to play um, about a little over three minutes of this, but it's it's very interesting. It's the ancient floating city built by giants, Nan Madal. All around the world, ancient megalithic sites challenge our perception of human history. From Stonehenge to the Pyramids of Giza to the Moai statues of Easter Island and the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan, these sites force us to rethink what our forefathers were capable of and whether the facts contained in our history... It wasn't our forefathers that were capable of this. It was it was giants and advanced, the advanced technology that they possessed and still do possess. ...books might not tell the whole story of our past. In the middle of the endless expanse of the Pacific Ocean in Micronesia, there lies a megalithic site as inexplicable and mysterious as any on Earth. A site which has been a breeding ground of legends and secrets for centuries. And yet, despite its status as one of the most enigmatic and unique ancient sites in the world, most people have probably never heard the name Nan Madal. There is perhaps a good reason for this. The Micronesian island of Ponape is truly in the middle of nowhere. Off its shores to the east lie more than 5,000 miles of open ocean until you hit California, while to the west, another 2,500 miles of ocean to Manila in the Philippines. The island itself is small and mostly insignificant, a mere 13 miles of inhospitable terrain from end to end, covered in thick jungles and mangrove swamps with a steep mountain rising in the middle. Yet, despite its remote location and inhospitable terrain, Ponape is home to the remains of megalithic architecture on an unparalleled scale in Micronesia. <clears throat> in the shallow waters off its eastern shores stands an unfathomable stone complex, 92 artificial islets built on top of a coral reef over an area a mile long, all linked by an elaborate network of stone-lined canals. These stone canals give the place its name, Nan Madal, which translates to within the intervals. In more modern times, Nan Madal has been given another name, 
the Venice of the Pacific. It is not hard to see why. Throughout the complex are a series of unbelievable structures made from enormous basalt stones, walls standing as high as 58 feet tall and measuring as much as 17 feet thick, columns and buildings, all made 17 from... feet thick. 50, I mean, over 50 feet. I mean, we're talking just to, to, to imagine some type of tribal people building something like this is unimaginable stones which weigh anywhere from five to 50 tons okay and again how is a prehistoric tribe going to move a 50 ton stone and do it over and over and over where you've got walls sometimes 17 feet thick it's an impossibility we would i mean the technology we even possess today could i mean to do it there as well in that type of environment we're we're it's just about impossible stacked in the manner which one might construct a log cabin. Astonishingly, it has been estimated that over 750,000 tons of stone were used in the site's construction. As David Childress, who conducted several investigations at Nan Madal in the 1980s and 90s put it, the whole project is of such huge scale that it easily compares with the building of the Great Wall of China and the Great Pyramid of Egypt in sheer amounts of stone and labor used and the gigantic scope of the site. Simply, Nanmadal is without a doubt one of the most astonishing megalithic sites anywhere on Earth and in fact the only one ever built atop a coral reef. But who could have... Uh, again such a thing yeah who could have built with giants fallen angelic type technology at play here just like so many other megalithic sites in the world um <clears throat> all right let's go further here biblical giants alive on the solomon islands now, i talked a lot about this in the times past as well it's rumored that in some remote locations of the earth far away from the busy cities there's still a race of giants, the offspring of the Nephilim, that still exist to this very day. Kandahar, Afghanistan is one location, and the Solomon Islands is another. Today we'll look at the Solomon Island Giants. The Solomon Islands is a sovereign state located in Oceania to the east of Papua New Guinea. The state includes six major islands and over 900 smaller islands. The capital, Haniara, is located on the island of Guadalcanal, which became a famous battleground between U.S. and Japanese soldiers in what is now known as the Solomon Island Campaign of 1942 to 1945. The remote islands were left undiscovered to the rest of the world, inhabited only by an indigenous people who had lived on the islands for thousands of years. In 1568, a Spanish explorer by the name Alvaro de Medina became the first European to discover the islands navigating the oceans from Peru. After discovering the islands, Alvaro named them the Islands of Solomon, with the belief that he had found gold, and not just any gold, but the place where the biblical King Solomon obtained the gold for his temple in Jerusalem. Rumors of such an important find reached explorers in other lands, and in 1595 and 1606, more Spanish expeditions set out to uncover the truth. The discoveries of gold reported by Mendena were never verified back then, but in more recent times, companies have managed to mine a large amount of gold from the islands. There's thought to be a substantial amount of gold still buried throughout the land. The native people who have inhabited the Solomon Islands for thousands of years have passed down traditions and oral stories of giants living in the land, much like many other cultures from around the world. And these people living on the islands still believe that these giants exist today and that they're living in caverns in the earth 
and caverns in the islands that connect to the islands where the giants don't even have to get out to see the light of day if they don't want to. Here's the testimony of Marius Borium, a helicopter pilot who lived on the Solomon Islands, heard many stories about the giants, and claimed to have encountered them himself. Marius Borium lived and worked in the Solomon Islands as a helicopter pilot and engineer before marrying one of the natives. He learned more about the islands and the indigenous people as well as the folklore surrounding them. He learned about the Solomon Island Giants, which supposedly inhabited the caves throughout the islands. The Solomon Island Giants were said to be over 10 feet tall, with evidence that suggests the Giants can grow much taller. The surprising features of the Solomon Island Giants are similar to other creatures around the world, like Bigfoot and the Mongolian Almas. They have very long black, brown, or reddish hair, bulging double eyebrows, red eyes, flat noses, and large mouths. There are thought to be three different species of giants, the largest over 10 feet tall, with another being smaller, and the third smaller still. Now, this is common knowledge if you live in the Solomon Islands, uh, but they call Solomon Islands literally the uh, nickname for the Solomon Islands is the land that time forgot. And... It's very, very hard to get there. <clears throat> the, what he's talking about is so rudimentary and elementary to the people that actually live in the Solomon Islands that, you know, they, they could they could tell you a whole lot more. Marius Borlands, the guy, the only person that I know of that's wrote a book who actually lived on the Solomon Islands, actually married one of the indigenous women there wrote a book solomon island mysteries accounts of giants and ufos i've read actually excerpts from that i actually have a copy and if you try to get a copy of it now on amazon you're going to pay 256 dollars for it um i'm assuming it's out of print i'm pretty sure something happened to marius borlon that wasn't good as a result i think he was trying to pursue this further and I don't think it turned out well for him. I, I can't exactly remember the exact story, but um, it didn't end well, I'm pretty sure, for him. And as a result, I think that's one of the, the things also that led to... Um, people have learned about this, but it's also led to a demand for the book. 310 pages. I mean, you talk about beyond, beyond interesting. I mean, it is... Wow. But so much of what's highlighted in the book is very just common knowledge in the Solomon Islands. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of give you a little more background there. Still bigger than a human. This helicopter pilot, Marius Borium, wrote a book titled The Solomon Island Mysteries, and here's a quote from that book. It is linguistically ironic that the Solomon Islands peoples name their undiscovered to the modern world race of humanoids the Giants. As throughout history, including in the Bible and other prominent books, the same name has been used in other parts of the world to describe these huge, elusive, subterranean humanoids. The Solomon Island Giants have become a topic for further research, often led by Marius himself. Marius writes that some of the Giants were killing and stealing humans from their villages. He speaks of a huge rogue killer giant attacking the indigenous people. Quote, this monstrous giant was an elusive and cunning creature that stalked its victims and often crept around the villages at night to seek its meals. 
He goes on to explain that many warriors had died trying to slay the giant, before villages had to be moved to other parts of the islands in order to protect their people. The Solomon Island giants are said to have social structures, and there are possibly thousands of them which inhabit Guadalcanal to this day. They use complex cave systems to pass from one side of the island to the other without ever having to see daylight. Yes. That's the end of Marius's part of the story, but there's also claims and reports that Japanese forces encountered these Solomon Island giants as well when they battled the United States on the islands in the 1940s. Between 1942 and 1945, Japanese and U.S. forces engaged in heavy fighting on the islands, which became known as the Solomon Islands Campaign. Dur the first time that we engaged the Japanese in an island controlled by them, uh, in, a, in a major protracted battle uh, in World War II, in the Pacific, this was Solomon Islands, the Guadalcanal in particular, which is, I believe, the largest of all the islands in the Solomon Islands. And um, <clears throat> well, I'll let him talk. In this conflict, Japanese forces would experience firsthand encounters with the Solomon Island Giants. They reported seeing creatures around 10 to 15 feet tall, which would sometimes come charging at units of soldiers. Their bullets had little effect on them. While suffering from attacks in daylight, soldiers also had a hard time sleeping as they could hear their fellow comrades wailing through the night as the giants launched more attacks. The cannibalistic nature of the giants struck fear in the hearts of the Japanese infantry. The giants of the Solomon Islands are common knowledge to locals, but along with stories of foreign encounters and sightings of footprints, there could be more truth to the stories than we realize. We know that giants existed before the flood and after- So they, for some reason, from what I've, the information I've been able to gather is, I think, well, the Japanese were there first. And the Japanese were uh, most likely, when they got there, I'm pretty sure they were subjugating the local people. Um, which we didn't do, okay? We didn't, we didn't, um, America didn't tend to go in there and, you know, obviously subjugate people and force them into slavery. The, the Japanese would, okay? And um, <clears throat> they were pretty sadistic um in not only what they did to captured american troops which then made us pretty much sadistic but they were also not well treated of the local indigenous people and the local indigenous people were kind of had a truce with the giants they they kind of were living at that point in some type of semi-peaceful coexistence it hadn't always been that way according to marius's book but I think that what happened is the giants saw this or maybe the indigenous people appealed to the giants and said, hey, listen, you know, this is what's happening to us. They had enough alliances with the giants where the giants went and attacked the Japs. I don't believe the giants ever attacked the American troops because the enemy and my enemy is my friend. I don't know how much our troops actually ever knew about this. I have read... Um, four different books on the Pacific Theater. My my great my grandpa Myers was actually there in the uh, in the Navy. Actually fired at Japanese planes. He didn't actually. He was an infantry. He was Navy, so he was on a ship. But um, <clears throat> he uh, I've always had a lot a lot of interest in the in World War II in general and in particular the uh, the Pacific and. Uh, what was I going to say, though? I kind of lost my train of thought there. Oh, but I, I've read four different books um, regarding that. 
regarding the the um, not all of them were Guadalcanal. Uh, I think two of them they talked about Guadalcanal. Uh, and I didn't see one reference in any of the books to anything having to do this. Now, again, I think this was something that was going on between the Giants and the Japanese well prior to Americans landing there. Now, I'm going to get into that in a second as well because I, I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but I'll let him talk first. The Flood. The story of David and Goliath, that happened far after the Flood of Noah. So somehow the Nephilim and their offspring, the Giants, we're able to reincarnate or come through some dimensional door or something along these lines. That's a topic for a different video, but they did exist. They didn't reincarnate again. I, I believe it's because more angels fell, which again, when you've got millions to choose from, Satan can, he talked 200 into falling at Mount Hermon, most likely, well, you know, probably did it again. After the flood. And we know this. Now, I'm sorry, they were already fallen, but I'm talking fallen to the point where they're actually procreating with earth women and that's a whole other level of of uh, depravity as not only the bible tells us but we see in cultures all around the world that had no contact with each other all have depictions of giants before the flood and after that in their architecture and in their cave writings and in their teachings we also can look at these cultures and see not only did they all have stories of giants but they were all for some reason building pyramids we can look at the ziggurat of Tepe Salak in Kashan, Iran, 3000 BC. Of course, the pyramids of Giza in Egypt, 2500 BC. The ziggurat of Ur and the city of Ur in Iraq, 2100 BC. Those areas are all close to each other, so you could make the theory that they somehow saw or had contact with each other and made those. How about the Kinshi Mausoleum in Zihan, China, 210 BC? or the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan, Mexico, 100 AD. And lastly, the Praying Temple, Kolkir in Cambodia, 940 AD. So not only did all these cultures have stories and depictions of giants, they all, for some reason, were building pyramids, showing that somehow something was going on in the earth in those days where these things were all connected, but they had no contact with each other. And that's the proof of the fallen angels and their mingling with men that existed in the earth back in those days as told to us in Genesis 6-4. There's quite a few verses in Bible prophecy that make me wonder are the Nephilim and their offspring returning again in the last days? And two of those that I'll mention now is in Revelation 9, we're told that there will be an army of 200 million strange things, creatures, horsemen, that it will be a plague that will kill one third of man. We don't know what they are. They're, they've got strange attributes to them. They could be some type of Nephilim offspring that is brought back to life for the last days it is possible it's, it's kind of like as far as the the horsemen go it doesn't say a lot it says more about the horses they're riding but as far as the horsemen goes yeah it could be could be hard to be super dogmatic on that of war that is brought upon the earth another verse that would back up that theory would be luke 21 26 talking about in the last days men will faint from fear and anxiety over what is coming upon the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken so men will faint and fear from anxiety of looking upon the things that are coming upon the earth. Something so frightening, maybe even the Nephilim and their offspring resurrected, brought back to life through some type. No, not there's no resurrection. Okay, <laughs> the disembodied spirits of the giants are demons that roam the earth to this day. That's what I believe. That's what Enoch teaches, and it does make sense. Um, demons and devils are different than fallen angels. 
okay? And that's a whole other subject, but I do believe Enoch explains that. And the other angels that fell during um, <clears throat> Noah's day are in chains in the special compartment of hell, Tartarus, in hell. Bible's real clear in that, and that's the New Testament. Now, the other, if there are other angels that fell, they probably were put there as well. Um, when, I don't know. It's probably, it could be an ongoing thing. But I don't believe this is any, has anything to do with resurrection or reincarnation. Wicked supernatural event that will take place to usher in Earth's last days. Okay, so we have that one. So just trying to give you a kind of a broad overview of everything here. Now, um, I was responding about this subject. And I, I said, I agree regarding World War II, the Pacific... Um, I have heard rumors of the giants of Guadalcanal playing a role in scaring the Japanese when the U.S. troops went on shore in Guadalcanal, which was the first assault by our troops of a Japanese-held island, a long-standing Japanese-held island in World War II. They went ashore totally unopposed. This was not what they were expecting at all, and not typical of how the Japanese fought to protect these islands. If you look at the other islands that, that we went on shore, normally we... Um, we uh, encountered fierce um, opposition. Okinawa didn't for some reason. That was weird. Peleliu was horrible. Uh, I believe almost all the other islands were horrible. I mean, Iwo Jima was horrible. Um, but they were expecting this gigantic um, opposition from the Japanese when they went ashore. Usually they made you pay dearly for every inch of that island. I know there has to be American troops who knew the truth, but I have never seen anything to confirm this or report about this reads. This brings me to the theory about World War II and the Japanese occupation of Guadalcanal. This is from a, uh, um, this is actually from Steve Quayle's website. A link to it I, I give you. This brings me to the theory about World War II and the Japanese occupation of Guadalcanal. There is a mystery that has never been solved about why there was no Japanese to initially resist the Allied forces at Red Beach and Henderson Airfield when they first arrived. When the Allied forces arrived, they were expecting to lose one in two. Okay, so basically 50% death rate or, or casualty rate, um, I, I guess wounded and or die, of the people they were expecting to go ashore. But instead, there was no one to be found. This was uncharacteristic of the Japanese of any other island campaign. Well, other than um, uh, Okinawa. Uh, they fought to the very last. But again, we did a lot of pre-bombardment uh, in Okinawa. And I don't know whether that scared them off or whether they just went... I mean, if you study what happened at Okinawa... What they did is they were they retreated to the southern part of the island primarily and set up just defensive line after defensive line after defensive line in cave systems where they totally had like the advantage and um, were dug in and you know I guess from a tactical standpoint they were trying to preserve as many troops as they had and kill as many of ours as they could um, until the bitter end and it was probably the best way to accomplish that. <clears throat> Anyway, let's see here. This was uncharacteristic of the Japanese. and I, uh, They fought to the very last. Why did such a large force of Japanese flee? I believe I have the answer. 
to that one. And it's not the way history has written it. I believe the Japanese encountered the giants in the center of the island. The, the, where the giants live in Guadalcanal, it's not on the coast. It's more toward the um, center of the island where the it's like a spine where the mountains come through. And they, they tend to live in the mountains, in, in the cave systems under the mountains, and then they come out. But it's a little ways to the coast where they live, okay? So it's more in the center of the island. Um, so he says, I believe the Japanese encountered the giants in the center of the island and most probably some others, and quite a few lost their lives because the giants and those others would have definitely been on the side of the Guadalcanal people, okay? Which kind of confirms what I was thinking, that, that I forgot this was even in here. In other words, the giants were um, allied with the Guadalcanal people, and the Japanese had most likely just treated them totally horribly. So the Jap so the Guadalcanal people go to the giants, and they're like, "Hey, th these guys are doing this to us, and um, can you help us?" So they went in there, and the giants were just slaughtering the Japanese. And when the Allies came ashore. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. We were we were fighting and killing the Japanese, which was what the giants wanted, and the Guadalcanal people probably wanted. So they were they were fighting like a three. They weren't really fighting against the Guadalcanal people, but they were most likely fighting against the giants. And and I think what happened is is when we got into protracted battles with America, um, or or with the Japanese on that island, I think that the giants kind of withdrew because they're like, why why do we want to put ourselves at risk of being killed because they can be killed if these americans are going to come in here and do the job that we were doing before but before you know who knows what kind of maybe um uh damage the giants were taking you know from the japanese so i'm i'm theorizing but it, it would seem to make sense now um and you already heard the other account that he read where during the conflict, Japanese forces would experience firsthand with the Solomon Giants. They reported seeing creatures 10 to 15 tall. I like to know where these reports are, but which would sometimes then come charging at units of soldiers. Their bullets had little effect on them while suffering from attacks in daylight. Soldiers had a hard time sleeping as they could hear their fellow comrades wailing through the night as the Giants launched more attacks. The cannibalistic nature of the Giants struck fear into the hearts of the Japanese infantry. And it's probably a big reason why they had a lot more bigger fish to fry potentially uh, than opposing the American, the Americans when they landed. Who knows what they had just endured maybe even the night before. And the Japanese were totally preoccupied with just dealing with the giants potentially. And um, it would make sense. Okay. So the giants of the Solomon Islands are common knowledge to the locals. But along with the stories of foreign encounters and sightings of footprints, there could be more truth to these stories than we realize. Well, there obviously is. And then Patricia commented again regarding the subject. And this is, in, she said, the ring of fire is over there in Oceania, Guadalcanal as well. Many of those Aboriginal people do have something odd going on with their genetics. And I could not get a straight answer what that was based on the stupidity of the internet now meaning it's so hard to find anything on the internet of truth now that is long that is a long known fact and it is not limited to the solomon islands it's the whole region meaning papua new guinea the solomon islands i mean new britain uh new zealand uh, i think also big time tonga fiji uh even hawaii 
okay? And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Meaning there's something different potentially with their genetics, okay? There are theories out there floated by actual scientists that in those populations, those that those populations breed with other non-homo sapien hominids. In this case, I, I, I put in there, in this case, the Nephilim, okay? These giants, giving them these unique unknown genetic markers. And remember what I told you re regarding half-caste, quarter-caste giants. Well, you can get really diluted. You can get a really diluted bloodline regarding that and still have Nephilim DNA in your bloodline. And um, that's what I'm going to talk about next. I said my response was yes. I mean, it's well known that so many islanders from this region going from Hawaii to Samoa to Tonga are super abnormally strong and when they're engaged in a fight are beyond vicious while the fake wrestling of the last 50 years is not something I advocate uh, it was part of my life growing up and especially when I was going to chiropractic college meaning like the pro wrestling okay not to say that it's not brutal okay it's just it's scripted essentially okay um, so when I was going to chiropractic college in the Atlanta area, I, I was exposed to a lot of this. As the Ted Turner's wrestling, pro wrestling league was there. I had several pro wrestlers that lived in my apartment complex. I mean, I'd look out my back. Um, we had this, uh, we lived in this place called La Park. It's under a different name now, but um, it had this big pool area, concrete and a pool. And almost on a daily basis... I could look out back and, and see um, Sid Vicious, a guy named Sid Vicious, who was a big-time pro wrestler at the time, and his, quote, manager, you know how sometimes they have managers, the colonel. And they would be out there in, like, you know, um, basically like a, no, I don't know, like a skimpy swimsuit for men out there in the sun getting a tan. They would always stand up. And they just talk for hours. And I had a guy named Johnny B. Bad that lived in my apartment complex. Um, had a guy named Eric Watts, who was the former quarterback for Louisville. He was my patient in clinic. Um, he became a pro wrestler. Uh, Johnny B. Bad, Eric Watts. There was a guy named Sinbad. Uh, there was um, the Colonel... Uh, I don't know if the colonel lived there, that that, that manager. Um, Sid Vicious, who was probably the most famous guy that lived in my building. Uh, I think there were some other ones in there. And um, I had Eric Watts was my, was my patient in clinic. He actually came to the clinic and I adjusted him there. And um, anyway, I, I went to a gym also, Coffee's Gym, that had, I mean... Uh, Eric, no, no, that was, uh, I'm trying to remember all the, all the pro wrestlers that went to my gym. Oh, the Steiner brothers, who I actually spotted Scott Steiner in the bench press. He would always want me to come over there and spot him. And um, he do like 10 forced reps, meaning he couldn't lift the weight. He had like 315 on the bar. And I would, I would be like literally pulling the whole weight off him at the end. And I'm thinking, if I drop the weight on this guy, he's going to kill me. <laughs> He'd come in there with his brother Rick Steiner, and they would they would kind of train. This was before Scott Steiner got 
real big. He, he became what they call Big Papa Pump or whatever. Anyway, I, I've, I've got a lot of experience with these guys, okay? <laughs> Everywhere I went, they were. Then the, the next gym I went to was Lex Luger and Sting's gym, which was right behind my apartment complex at the time. That would ju- It opened up and I started going there. So um, anyway, from what I saw, the most feared wrestler, pro wrestler, of all time was a guy named Ming or Haku or also known as King Tonga. Okay, he had three different names. Ming, Haku, or King Tonga. He was from Tonga. The the island chain. Okay, one of the island chains that were were kind of in in that region of Solomon Islands. Um and I I, I sent the I sent Patricia a link to this thing about the most feared pro wrestlers of all time. And it's almost a universal thing of any pro wrestler, including Hulk Hogan and um, about every other person they've ever interviewed, they said that this guy, this Haku Ming King Tonga, was the most savage, the most feared. Andre the Giant even was afraid of him. I mean, and Andre the Giant pretty much, from what I heard, wasn't afraid of anybody. And, I mean, he was he was probably about half the size of Andre the Giant, but this guy was so savage and it's kind of what one of the things the Islanders are, are kind of, in a way, known for. I understand a lot of times they have the perception of, oh, they're just laid back big teddy bears. Yeah, um, you get them angry and it's a whole other different animal there, okay? And um, Ming is also closely related to The Rock, the the um, the guy, The Rock, the, who was the, a pro wrestler and now is the famous actor, okay, The Rock. That's his uncle, Ming Haku is The Rock's uncle. The Rock recently bragged, and I think I played the clip, of how he loves eating children. Okay, he's done this over and over again. And like, oh yeah, he's real straight deadpan when he says it. And oh, he's just joking. Uh uh I don't know about that. I don't think he's joking. I don't think you get to that level in Hollywood unless you're totally sold out to Satan. And just so happens... Ming or Haku is his uncle. Okay. So Ming, um, so then there's the 25 toughest wrestlers of all time. Haku named the toughest wrestler of all time. He's really the most feared. Okay. Um, now, anyway, I just said that to say this, if, if they've got Nephilim DNA in there, okay, whether, I don't know how diluted it is. Okay. They're not quarter cast giants because a quarter cast giant is going to stick out in society. I've, I've read about one of the quarter cast giants from this book, but they've got an, a sufficient amount. They tend to be a lot bigger, you know, than the average people. Um, you know, I heavily suspect these islanders from this region that ended up in pro sports in college, which are loaded with them now, especially football may have DNA from the Giants as they always are much larger than the average person and very strong. And um, again, what Patricia mentioned about the DNA anomalies, again, well, it's well-known fact with the Solomon Islanders that the Giants were have interbred with the um, indigenous populations there for who knows how long. I don't think it's going on as much now at least on the Solomon Islands, but it was well, well known that that was going on. And they, he gets into it in his book. 
I give you a link to the book here, and 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 I repost the cover. But again, you know, 256 bucks for a copy of this thing now is kind of steep. Um, I I also wrote and I kind of got into this. The book ref referred to the inbreeding of the giants with local populations. The book referred to them as half cast giants and quarter cast giants and so on usually once they breed past the quarter cast phase you could have them in society without being noticed too much but the even the quarter cast ones stood out i mean they they, they would go on to describe just if you were like a half cast or a quarter cast the amount of food you could eat is unbelievable i mean they could sit down and eat a whole pig at one sitting a half cast easy okay you, you had to keep them away from, from your food or it was going to all be gone. He gets into that in the book. And you would expect that. I mean, it says that in Enoch. It says that they that they, con, they consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when, they, when, they, when man could no longer supply them, they consumed men. And then they consumed each other, it says. That they consumed, the giants consumed one another when they, you know, they'd kill each other and stuff. I mean, these are the most depraved creatures you can imagine. So, um, uh, we have that. Uh, let me see how much time I've got left here. Um, yeah, I think I can get into this. Okay, I wanted to cover this real quick too. Unholy, the song glorifying evil and Satan wins a Grammy Award. Sam Smith and Kim Petras, first transgender he, she abomination winner uh, for this song. So, let's go ahead and play this one. Check out the, the post that Sam Smith said on the tweet here. He said, this is going to be special, hashtag Grammys. And CBS, who actually aired this Grammys, said, you can say that again. We are ready to worship. Yeah. <laughs> CBS says we're ready to worship. What in the world yep. were they even talking about? Worship who? Worship what? Worship Sam Smith? Worship someone else? I don't know. But when you look at their official twitter cbs they have now scrubbed that post clean so you can't find it it was there fact checked it already it did exist i've seen the link for it and now it's gone but what i want you to notice is wikipedia yeah there's a wikipedia i just found that out today but i was looking up the the symbolism for the color red in the occult and it says the color red is bold bright and energetic it evokes images of passion and violence. It is the color of the sweet red rose and our very lifeblood. It's the color of blood and violence. Red is used in magic for purifying the blood, for inducing lust and passion to increase energy, power, courage, even violence. So the color red in the occult, which I don't think it's any secret that these elites these hollywood elites are into the occult they openly tell you things like i channel spirits or my wife's a witch uh, and and so they're not they don't hide these things and so color you're not just going to put on a big show and just wing it like uh, yeah just pick any color throw it on the background no all of this stuff is orchestrated people spend a lot of time and a lot of money putting these shows together set designs wardrobe hair everything makeup everything to a t everything's done for a purpose so show tell me what you're seeing here when you're looking at this stage performance you see a lot of red that induces 
violence and passion and lust and it's the color of blood or biblically it's the color of sin your sins are as scarlet so this whole audience is painted with light and sam smith is rocking some red devil horns and there's be i want to say women but they're not women there's people in these cages that look like women but they're not even biological women these are so cages fire horns yeah. red who are we embracing here what is happening they're using transgendered like he she's to dance around and guys that look like women but they've got super long hair uh, it's just it's just one big disgusting abomination um that glorifying openly glorifying satan to the highest degree right in your face here in this picture you see they're all dressed head to toe in red and we right. just saw according to the cult this is to in, induce violence sexual lust and and passions and trigger warning here i just want to let you know not a single person in this picture is a biological female Nope. I know, I know, that might have triggered some people. Ugh. But this is the award ceremony. This wasn't just a performance. I wouldn't even be shocked if this was just a performance. What I'm shocked about is that they actually won the Grammys. No, of course they did. Because they're the most sold out to Satan. The song's called Unholy. It's a bunch of transgenders. And now I'm assuming this is a guy, the, the, the Sam Smith guy. I don't think he's a woman. Um... But um, I guess all the people around him, these ones that look like women, are actually men, and they're they're they've got their devil horns. The song's called "Unholy." I mean, Satan is gonna honor his own, and of course they they won the the whole the Grammy award or whatever. I mean, you would expect that as wicked and as evil as Hollywood is. Tim Petras. I'm the first uh, transgender woman to win this award. Oh, uh, <laughs> wonderful. Haven't we come so far? Transgendered man, he, she, the first one to win this award. Haven't, and everybody's just, you know, clapping and screaming and going, you know, one of them to call evil good and good evil because that's exactly what they're doing. You know, we're supposed to hate evil and love good. No, no, they're, they do the exact opposite. They do the exact opposite because they're of the father of the devil and of his loss, they will do. Now they're getting a standing ovation from all the reprobate devils in the, in the, the crowd because Mr. He, she is, is the first transgendered winner. Everybody's cheering about this. Sydney. Thank you, um, Madonna, for fighting for LGBTQ rights. Oh, um, Madonna, the, the queen, grandam witch of of this whole thing. I don't think I could be here without Madonna. Um, mm. My mother, my mother believed me that mm. I was... Your mother did beyond the worst job possible to... I mean, the fact that you're giving your mother credit just shows you that she did the worst exact possible job raising you that she could possibly do. 
Because obviously your mother endorses all this garbage. Girl, and um, I wouldn't oh. be here without her. Sam, thank you. You're a true angel and hero oh, yeah. in my life. Oh, yeah, and angel. I love you. Yeah. So she wouldn't be here without Madonna. She, you know, she, he, this is Kim Petra. It looks is... like something out of the Hunger Games. It's literally getting that point. You know how they, they dress real ostentatious and garish and tacky in the Hunger Games? The elite and the ones they put on TV, how they have those dumb outfits well th like this clown guy that looks like he's just a vessel of satan who is one of the award presenters i mean he looks like are you serious i mean who dressed you so much of the time now i will watch shows and it's like where you're supposed to be dressed nice like in a suit and they look like clowns N nothing's matching they're wearing like high top sneakers with dress pants with like a dress suit just things that you would have never ever saw like even 20 years ago really it's like they purposely dressed them in the most like horribly matched insane ways by design on purpose to get you to think that that's cool evidently to get you thinking oh well that's that's what's really in fashion and what's really trending the biological male who's now become female very confusing i know but kim is thanking madonna thanking Kim's mother who, you know, said, he said, oh man, it's so confusing. He, she, Kim said, I would not be here without my mother, that yeah, she true. really um, believed that I was a girl and kind of stuttered when she said a girl too. Um, but the interesting thing was at the end saying to Sam, you're an angel. Guess who else is an angel? Yeah, fallen yeah, angel. Lucifer is an angel. When I see pictures like this, do well, I... Lucifer is actually the anointed cherub that covers. It's an angelic being, but not so much what we would think of as an angel. He was a cherub. Yeah, heavenly angelic. Yeah, it shows this devil during this performance where he's got all these transgenders pawing at his body, and he's got his tongue sticking out with his little devil, a red top hat on with horns coming out of it. I mean, it. it you just, it's literally like something a, a performance you would see in hell. And this is what is being glorified as as um, wonderful and good. The, this name of the song is Unholy. So, you know, if it's good, it's evil. And if it's evil, it's good. And it's upside down world. Angel. No, not at all. See, we're in a days and age where Satan doesn't even have to hide anymore. Like, he doesn't even have to yeah. sugarcoat it. No, Satan does not look like this. Satan does not have red horns and a long tail and a pitchfork that is uh, well i think maybe in his true form he might look like that but but that's not how he typically presents himself um you know to people a meme basically satan has created this character of himself so that you won't even believe in him but when you go out of your way to look like this this is basically your flag your satanic flag it's like wearing a swastika on your chest when you wear that symbol you're giving um allegiance to someone you're showing a symbol a badge of who you represent whose side you're on and they're not shy to say that they're on the side of satan and they blatantly show it like this and now we're in the day and age where not only is it a performance but they're the winners they won the grammy right so when i think of kim saying i, I thank madonna I'm, I'm thinking okay yeah it all goes hand in hand look madonna recently did a Vanity Fair 
photo shoot right. where she's dressed like Jesus. And, and again, a lot of right. transgenders, there's a lot of people. It's like, I don't know. Is that she's standing on this table? Like it's the last supper and all of her disciples are women. And she's standing up there. Like she's Jesus, like in this, I don't know, occultic pose or whatever. I mean, you know, Madonna white hot hellfire is all I can really say. You can, do all this stuff and defy God and do all these things and act like you're this or you're that. And it's, it's all you're doing is storing up wrath and hellfire than the lake of fire. None of it will benefit you there. Biological male, biological female. What are we seeing here? But it's all this full of lust blasphemy, and just pure blasphemy. These pictures. Lottery. And it just makes me think of things that we hear about in the Bible. I'm about to read some of those here. We see, severed baby parts what what is the obsession with she's got i think it's madonna with like severed like baby doll heads like like around her waist like kind of like uh pretty sure kali the god of the hindu god of death has that um that severed body parts hanging hanging off uh kali that's how it's depicted and, and then it's just it's just so disgusting and weird and freakish the occult with blatant Satanism, with blaspheming Christ, with dismembered babies. See, all this stuff goes hand in hand. The, the whole pride movement, the whole, um, the occult, the pride, the abortion. We saw that we put a, a golden demon on top of the courthouse in honor of abortion. So these yeah. things do go hand in hand. And what I'm, what I'm just seeing here is like, this is the days of Noah. This is the days of Lot. Yes. Why is there such an attack on Christianity? Ask yourself that question. Be honest with yourself. Do we see a real spiritual war happening here? <laughs> totally. Do we see people glamorizing the occult, witchcraft, Satan himself, where Madonna here is hanging out with this dude who has hoof for feet. She's got hoofs for feet and horns. He's got hoofs for feet. Do we see Satanism being glamorized? And then another Christ literally being this guy with hose for feet and she's got hose for feet. And it's just, ah, it's so wicked and evil. Asphemed, mocked Christians being ridiculed. You never see Christians in a positive light yet. We're told as Christians, stop shoving your belief down my throat. Have you heard that before? Stop shoving your beliefs down my throat. Yet when I, see what's on cartoons when i see what's in video games when i see what's in movies and music i don't see that at all i see the exact opposite thing and nobody seems to complain that the occult is shoved down your throat that witchcraft is shoved down your throat that every time you see a commercial somebody's doing a lotus pose and and then striking yoga poses this is new age meditation the new age the occult the witchcraft is all being shoved down your throats yet we're not supposed to say anything about that and in you know, in the media, people like Lucifer. There's a TV show. Hey, he's the ladies' man. You know. So this is taking me to Second Timothy three one through nine, and it says this is talking about the last days. It says this: Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, proud. Think of that word: blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful unholy literally the title of the song that just won the grammy right 
without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, like saying that Christians shove their beliefs down your throat. That's a false accusation. Incontentant, fierce. <laughs> Incontinent is what he's meant to say. And that doesn't mean you're peeing yourself in this particular context. It means you can't control yourself. That's what that word means from a King James type standpoint. Um, without natural affection, that would also be kind of uh, in the whole thing of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender uh, realm as well. Despisers of those that are good. Do we see that? We get we oh. get blasted by... Well, I mean, all of what we just described, every bit of what just went on in the Grammys is despising that which is good and, and just... just blaspheming God as much as they can possibly blast, just shaking your fist and blaspheming God as much as they possibly could glorying in their shame is what they're doing. Calling evil, good and good evil rejoicing in wickedness. Uh, it's, it's Romans one, the, you know, the whole last part of it all rolled up into one thing. Christians, 400 people here. Keep sharing this guys despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We see that all the time when people say, hey, it's just entertainment, whatever. I'm not going to give this up. I've even seen people say, I wouldn't give up Fortnite if it kept me out of heaven. Oh, They would still play. Wow. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's Have a video game, I'm pretty sure, yeah form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away we see this in the church a lot of people they they have a form of godliness but there's no transformation the, the power to have victory in their life victory over sin there's no transforming power just a form of godliness for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as, as theirs also was. So we see this. We see this in our day. Like that was a list of everything we see right now. And that was predicted 2,000 years ago, and it said, in the last days, we're going to see this. Okay, so um, he goes on for a little bit more if you want to. I, I give you, always give you all the links to all these. And the, the next part is really just a reiteration. CBS openly admits goal with, with the message to the artist before the satanic performance. It was hidden in plain sight. And um, this is just basically a reiteration. But what CBS... Um, CBS responded to uh, Smith's uh, tweet, which is the Sam Smith was the main guy with the devil horns. And um, they responded to his tweet of the rehearsal for the show by saying, we are ready to worship uh, CBS. You can say that again. We are ready to worship. And the only thing that, that you could have construed being worshiped that night was Satan. I mean, it was clearly blatant, open worship of Satan, just like 
what Disney recently did with the thing that I got into where they had the little kitties up there and it said, we love you, Satan. And they said, oh, we just messed up on a couple different. No, you didn't mess up. You meant that. You, this was like pre-recorded. It wasn't even live. You could have corrected that very easily. But you didn't. You just you thought it was cute to leave the sign up for the kitties instead of saying we love Santa, we love Satan. I mean, Santa's basically a derivative of Satan, but they, they wanted to be a little more overt and in your face. And this is where we're at in society, where it's just this right out in the open. Um, the church, so-called church for the most part, will do very little to go against this at all. The 501c3 uh, church that's yoked up with the government. Um, and... Um, it's really up to the remnant and the Christian, the true Christians out there that are, you know, not blinded to pray, fast, educate others, intercede, um, fight against wickedness, you know. So that's all I have for today because I'm, I'm just about out of time here. And um, Lord willing, we will see you in the next audio next week. So God bless you and see you then.